The Bible reading today is taken from Matthew 19, 16 to 30. The rich young man. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which one? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal and do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the other young man heard this, he went away sad because he had a great wealth. Picking it up then in um, verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Okay, thanks Kevin and Anne, that's fantastic. What a passage, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, encourage you to read it through a few times. This young man we're about to meet, He's, uh, Jesus is just about to leave town. We don't know what town it is, but he's about to leave. And he's been doing these miracles up north um, around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and people are starting to really start talking about it. I want you to imagine someone around here is healing people, healing blind, casting out demons, and going into synagogues and causing a bit of a ruckus. The whole area would start talking about it. This is no secret. So... He's about to leave town, um, and this young ruler that we're about to meet, it's, he, he wonders, is this the last chance I've got to meet Jesus face to face? So this, this, this young guy. Now, he's, Matthew describes him as a young man. Luke says he's a significant leader, and all three say that he had great wealth, and Luke says he has lots of property. So Mark sh shows an earnest young man, um, very wealthy, with plenty of status. Um, it's quite possible, uh, just from what we've read, that, that he's one of the leaders of the local synagogue or something. 
All right. What I'd like you to do, rather than this just be a story from a book, I'd love us to bring this into our minds and into our creativity a bit. Who in today's society would actually be like this young ruler? Now, he's between 20 and 40 years old, all right? Great wealth, great property. He's a leader, probably in the synagogue. Um, who would be today's equivalent? Can you just chat between the people next to you? Bring someone to mind, okay? I'm going to give you a few seconds to think that through. Okay, 30 more seconds. Okay, I'm hoping you can have someone in mind. Now, the difference back then to our society is that politics and religion were actually aligned. So this guy, some of you, who thought of someone in politics or mayor or town sort of someone? Hands up. Okay, I got one nod. Okay, who thought of someone who's a pastor or a vicar or a priest or something? Okay, what did the rest of you guys think of? That's three hands out of the whole audience. Okay, um, <laughs> so, um, but this guy, you can picture him back then as, I, I picture him as someone who is probably a priest and what we would say the mayor as well of this town, of this area, because you tie those two together back then. Now, Jesus' encounters with religious leaders usually wasn't very good, all right? When um, most of the wealthy religious people who asked Jesus a question were trying to trap him and trick him. Yeah, I'll give you a few examples. Um, the people would come up to him, priests, religious leaders would come up to him and say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? It's a trap. Um, why do your disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath? It's a trap. How do you, can you heal someone on the Sabbath? It's a trap. This lady was caught in the very act of adultery. Should we stone her like Moses commanded? It's a trap. All right? So most of the time Jesus talks to religious leaders, it's not a good experience. Um, uh, he, does, he does well, but it's, it's not a nice conversation. Uh, and this meeting has a very different tone. There was another religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. He, Jesus met him up on the rooftop of a house. And Nicodemus, like this young ruler, also had a very similar question. So he, he went up to the top and it was, he was seeking, he was searching. He, he said, and he was a really high up leader in the religious system at the time, he said, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember Jesus' answer to him? It's similar to this. I'm going to come back to that in a sec. Okay. Now this guy... He's also wearing fine clothes, he's wealthy, he's a community leader and Jesus is on the edge of town, leaving town. Now this is, this is I want you to capture the tone of what's happening. This religious leader, he's in his prime, I bet you he's even good looking but it doesn't say, probably smells fantastic. He runs up and it says, he, one of the gospels says he runs up to Jesus and he falls on his knees in the dust and he addresses Jesus as um, good, uh, what is it again? Good, good teacher. And so picture this guy, elite, young, prime, and he falls at his, on his knees in full public view 
on the dust of the road and he looks at Jesus. This is probably the last time I'm actually going to ask, be able to ask you a question. Falls on his knees and says, what must I do to receive eternal life? He, so he starts off with his phrase, good teacher. Now that phrase, good teacher, in, we don't actually have that kind of a phrase mentioned in any of the rabbinic, rabbinic literature until a few hundred years later. So the phrase good teacher that he says there is not a normal phrase that's used. It's clumsy, but this young guy is trying to actually put something of the significance into his meeting with Jesus. He's attempting clumsily to elevate Jesus, and he says good teacher. Now Jesus replies, and it's a bit like Nicodemus. To Nicodemus he says, well, if you want to be saved, you have to be born again. Now for us, that language doesn't shock us because we've heard it a thousand times. But for this guy, that was the first time that phrase has been used. You need to be born again. It's like, what? And he's trying to work this out. You mean I have to actually, anyway, we're not going to get into details. That was last week. But um, this, And then this guy gets a similar response. So this guy, he says, what must I do to receive eternal life? And, and Jesus focuses on his greeting. He says, why do you call me good? And here he's kind of, saying, there is only, he goes on to say, there is only one good, and that's God. Is that how you're referring to me, is basically what he's saying. Like, you're calling me good teacher. Are you actually putting me on par with God in that statement? Is that where you see me? Is, is that where we're at at the moment? Okay, and for Jesus, it's kind of acknowledging to this guy and saying, you're right, I'm good, because I, I am God. And so then the conversation carries on. Um, as I turn my page. Okay. Now, for this guy, what must I do to receive eternal life? Both him and Nicodemus ask very similar questions. What must I do? Can you see how that's a question based around their behaviour? Now, their religious system was all about behaviour. They had all these laws, the Ten Commandments, all these laws to follow. And the way that you were saved in that religious context was by your behaviour, what you do. And so... Jesus actually responds to his question in the same vein of thought. So the, the ruler says, what must I do? Now, he's a businessman, a tra- he's a leader, he has power and money. Basically, this becomes transactional for him. He says, tell me what I have to do to be saved or to have eternal life, and then I'll make it happen. All right? And this guy is actually authentic, he's genuine. He, his, Jesus says, well, you know the Ten Commandments, and he actually just reels off five of them. All right, Jesus says, and listen to these because these are all behavioral as well, okay, which I think is interesting. Um, Jesus comes back to him and says, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. How are you guys going on this list at the moment? It's a bit of a culture of stealing around here at the moment. Anyway, we'll keep moving on. Um, don't give false testimony, so don't lie. Don't um, honor your parents and love your neighbor as yourself. These are all behaviors and actions. Now, the guys listening, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, keep honest, don't give false testimony. And the guys, he's actually frustrated with the response. The guy says back to Jesus, I've done all this. Since I was a child, I have followed the commandments. Like, I'm actually actually on the ball with this. Um, That is what I've been doing all my life. My behaviour is all in check, tick, tick, tick. I've done all this. I've not killed anyone. I've not committed adultery. I don't lie. Like, I'm doing that. And yet, here I am on the, in the dust on my knees asking you this question. 
Because obviously to him, there's something more. Like he's really conscious that living by these laws is not what will give him eternal life, or at least that's how he's feeling. He's coming with big questions. Now I wonder if you found yourself on your knees in front of Jesus on the edge of this village, I wonder what question you would ask him. I'm just going to give you a second to think about it. This isn't a chatty one. What question would you get on your knees and ask Jesus? Because I think for this guy, it's a pretty significant question. Um, from, the evidence, from what we see of this transaction, he's actually really serious. This is, he's humbly coming to someone he sees as good. Now, he's already a religious leader, but he sees this person as good. And he says to him, his question is, what must I do to receive eternal life? So Jesus rolls through the list. This guy goes, yeah, nah, that's not quite it because I'm, I'm not picking all this. Like, it's not quite enough for me. There's something else. And you know, Jesus says, you're right, there is something else. But before we get to that, if this young man had been listening to Jesus' times, which is very possible, he would have heard the, the teachings, which we, we've bunched them together and called them the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says, look, here are the Ten Commandments, but actually we need to take this further because the sin actually comes from within. It's not behavioural. There's stuff inside you that comes out as behaviour and action, and that's the bit that's the problem. If you, Jesus says in his teaching, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you have committed adultery. And if you have hatred in your heart for someone, then you have committed murder. So this young ruler, he says, yeah, I've done the Ten Commandments, but I wonder if he's saying, but that's going the next level. That's the, that's the next 20 levels. Um, and even in his teachings that he holds so dear, Isaiah says that even your righteous acts are as filthy rags. And so the, our behaviour, Jesus is starting to get to the point where he's showing this religious leader that it's not your behaviour that will get you eternal life. So when Jesus heard this guy's response, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. I'm really hoping those lines don't just roll in one ear and out the other. Let's, let's read that again. Picture this guy who's hearing it. Oh, I really want you to get a grasp of this. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Everyone take a deep breath. This is, this is big for this guy. Now when Jesus rocks up at the start of his ministry, he goes around Galilee and he turns up at these fishing boats and he says to Peter, James and John, he says, come and follow me. Now they gave up everything. So they actually did this. They gave up their fishing nets and then followed Jesus as disciples. So Peter's done this. You'll see, I'm not going to talk about it a lot today, but later on in that Matthew 19 passage, Peter says, we've done all this. You have a look from his perspective later. But he's given up everything. And that's quite a big deal. Like, if someone just, like, that's a big deal. But here, we've got a rich, young ruler who's in the prime of his life. I don't know how he's got it, but he's wealthy and he's got lots of property. And he's got significance. Now, from this point... He can do incredible things for God because he has wealth and power and money and things that will actually buy influence. So from this point, it's interesting that Jesus says, sell everything. 
Because the normal business thing would be, can you invest everything you've got into the kingdom and then we'll go from there. You've already got fame, let's use it. Let's use that pedestal that you've already got and we'll actually grow from there. That would make sense. Jesus says, I want you to sell everything, give to the poor and then come follow me. Now, why does Jesus say that to him? Because that's pretty full on. Um, But I think this would have really highlighted for this guy what the actual issue was. He's followed all the commandments. His behavior is great. No no questions. If you could get to heaven by behavior, you got it. But that's not how it works. And then Jesus points out, I, I was trying to reflect, how would I describe this next bit? Often for us, I think we can relate to this guy quite well because I'll say, this is, this is, so this is where it starts to get a bit transparent for me. I'll say, God, I will serve you with my whole heart. I will seek your kingdom first within these certain parameters. All right? And I think for us, that's where this really hits the road. God, I will make you Lord of my life as long as I can keep my house and have a good salary. Or I will make you Lord of my life while I can keep within these gifts that, that I've got and find my significance or identity. I will live for the kingdom and give it my all as long as I don't have to sacrifice, you know, my family, my extended family, my whatever it is that you... It's w- within these parameters that's the problem. This guy's behaviour is not a problem, but it's the within these parameters that's holding him back. Because the commandment, the first commandment that Jesus didn't say was you must have no other gods before me. Now for this guy, he, we know that he went away sad. So this is, a, this is a significant cost. The thing I love about this story is we don't hear what happens after that. I'm an optimist, so I actually see him go over, reflect on it, think about it, and then in my mind I see him coming back in full force in the kingdom after Jesus is raised again and he's part of the church back then or whatever. But we, we actually have no idea. That's just because I want to hope for the best. It's a bit of a Hollywood ending in my mind. But here, I wonder how we are going with not having any other gods before, before God. Um, not putting anything else. There's the other commandment he didn't say is you shouldn't have any idols. Um, and this guy, this is one of the hardest things for us. And I think, I don't think our society is unique. But money is a big part of how we shape our life and how we focus our time. If you talk about how you invest your hours in the week, a lot of it is based around earning an income, making money and surviving. Money is one of the biggest influences on the way that we make decisions. Um, And so this thing of, I will seek God with everything I've got within these certain parameters is one of the things that we'll really have to think through. Um, There's a bunch of guys that we quote quite often. There's one, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There's another one, oh, no, just the name slipped my mind. Dutch guy, Henry, Henry Nowen. These are guys, and if you look at Jesus, Paul, the disciples, these are guys who gave up everything to follow Christ and be his disciple. Um, and the, the one thing, the, the warning I would give you, the caveat, is if Jesus asks you to sell everything and give to the poor, that's great, go and do it. We'll talk about that in a sec. But if it's not Jesus asking you to sell everything and give to the poor, that's crazy. Because <laughs> that's, that's a big thing. I've, I've lived in Christian ministry for quite a long time. And I've seen a few people who have wanted to escape difficult situations or complex workplaces 
And so they sell everything so that they can escape what they want to get away from. That's actually dangerous. Um, but what, what he, Jesus is saying here is, I want you to put me first in your life. Sell everything because money's an issue for you. There's this funny phrase about, um, he's describing to the disciples, it's harder for a rich person to get into heaven than for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. There's so many different interpretations of what that can mean, and I don't think anyone really knows. And if I'd encourage you, go through that rabbit hole this week, have a look at it, do a bit of Googling. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, but the, what it means is, and I, this is, I feel this for myself as well, how do I put God first in my life so that my decision-making framework is based around living wholeheartedly for the kingdom and loving God with everything I've got, full stop? Forget the parameters part. How do I commit everything I've got to God and then follow him? So that's, that's where it's going because basically if I'm rich, and this is where it's hard. Peter, it's not that hard to drop everything and follow him. It's pretty hard. I'm still impressed. But for this guy to drop everything and follow Jesus costs him his world. All right? I want to have a look at that just for a sec. What does it mean that money corrupts? So for this guy, the, the difficulty for him is he has to give away his possessions. All right? That's, that's a big deal. He has to give away his status and influence because often with your position comes status. He has to give away his power because I reckon his church, it depends how it goes. One of my heroes of the old days is Martin of Tours. See how they call him St. Martin these days. Read up on him. He gave up everything and his church still wanted him to lead but it was a really difficult dialogue between them. Have Have a read of that. But this guy has to give up his power. He won't be able to retain power if he gives everything away and becomes a disciple of Christ. What you have to know is almost every one of this guy's contemporaries, all of these religious leaders and, and um, bosses of religion, <laughs> they, they've actually been wanting to destroy Jesus and they want him out of the picture. They want him dead. And this guy's actually going against that and wanting to follow Christ as a disciple. So if he gives up and becomes Christ's disciple, he'll be rejected from his religious system. Um, and he spent his whole time climbing that ladder. Uh, but also, the one thing, this guy is wealthy. How did he get his wealth? It's quite probably that he had wealthy family, that his wealth is inherited and passed down. He's probably the firstborn son, because that's how he, they did it back then, because it's very unlikely that he built his financial empire within his lifetime. So he's got a family who has passed down this money to him. He'll have siblings who benefit from the wealth of that family. Now, if he gives it all away, can you imagine the discussion he would have to have with his mum, who is financially looking after? Sorry, mum, I gave it all away. I hope that's all right. Okay, That would be a very difficult conversation to have because giving away everything is stupid, right, if you haven't got Jesus to follow. So he would be giving away all of this stuff and then following Christ. So this guy goes away downhearted. He goes away sad. Um, they had a drawn face, one of them says. This is heavy stuff for him because Jesus is asking him to lose the parameters. Um, I, I want to share just a tiny bit of my journey. I, I've had a, a special privilege. This isn't for everyone. But my wife and I have had a special privilege. In 2003, we decided to move to the UK as missionaries. Um, I, I, was, um, I had a physics degree and I was a math and science teacher and we felt that God had asked us to move to the UK to establish some youth and community work there. 
we had enough money to get us... English rent is extremely expensive. So we had enough money to get us through a couple of months of rent while we landed, and then we asked God to find a way that we could sustain it. We thought we were going for two years um, on a missionary visa, so we flew over with four suitcases and we'd organised a rental just for two months. And so when we landed, we moved in. Now, we, we were in the crazy place where we actually said, God, we believe you've called us there. We don't have the funds to sustain it. And so we're asking you to provide. Now, I've got big questions about that. Um, it was great for us, but you really want to make sure that's what God's saying. Okay? That's the proviso. So talk it through with friends first before you do anything crazy like that. But we got over there, we found a house. Now, within two weeks, we went to a church meeting just to share with a bunch of the churches why we're here and what we're hoping to do. There hadn't been any kids or children's work for about 30 years at that time. The churches were diminishing and growing elderly. uh, And we just said we want to just love and serve the young people in the area. So at the end of that meeting, an old couple walks up to us. They felt old then. They probably weren't that old because they're still alive now. So... um, But they came up to us and they said, actually, we've got a granny flat at the back of our cottage um, that we'd like to, we don't want to charge rent for it because we we don't want an income, but you can come and live in it. And so we got a free accommodation. uh, It was called their slaughterhouse. It was the back of a 400-year-old butcher shop. Um, (laughs) And God provided us free rent for as long as that worked for us. Um, We put our office in there. We worked in there as well. Um, But it, it was interesting for us we were trying to live out this thing of seek God and um, with everything we've got and then he will give us what we need. And so li- living this life of faith was quite tricky. We, we like to call it um, gift income because I, I think we're all called to live by faith whatever our situation is, but we live by gift income. We didn't go around asking for money, but we, if people asked, we would say, well, if, if you want to help us, then you can support us. Now, that support was always pretty minimal we were way below the poverty line and we were really happy, okay? We loved living for God in that way. It's, uh, it's not that glamorous. I kept on having arguments with God. He came, it seems to keep pushing us right to the edge of what we could manage financially. Like, I just, I need to buy bread and it's really tricky for us at the moment. That was the kind of question. And I kept saying to God, God, it takes me so much energy worrying about where money's going to come from and I'm losing all this emotional energy, I'd be so much more effective if you just provided us with enough. And God kept saying, I keep it tight because then it keeps you close. If you had all that you needed and more, if you had more than you needed, you'd actually start to feel like you've got this and you're doing it on your own. And so God and I kept on having this tussle, which I was disappointed with. It wasn't a get-rich-quick program. But what happened was um, in 2013... We felt like it was right. We, by that stage, we had four kids. Um, we were living in a, here you call it a unit. Over there, it's a bungalow. It's a two-bedroom, um, little old people sort of home thing. Um, we had to custom build our beds so that we could fit four kids in that room. Um, we couldn't afford to pay rent for a house. We, again, ask my kids. We were all really happy there. But we started to feel like, do you know what? I think, God, I think this is starting to... I know that four-fifths of the world lives in a property smaller than this, but in this context, it's starting to feel like it's a, a difficult thing. We're, we're going to have to find a way through it. And so, but at the same time, really felt like God was saying, actually, I, I want you to go and get paid employment and continue living by faith. And so I stepped into a job, computer networking, get on a salary. Um, Danny was teaching a bit as well. And, and 
it just felt like God was saying, now it's, your, now it's time to earn a salary and live by faith. And so we planted a church in that time and watched that church grow. Um, and it was a few years in, about three years in, we weren't able to sustain paying rent because we weren't earning enough. England's expensive. Um, and we were starting to struggle. We got to November and Danny and I prayed. Um, we just said, God, we're, we're, we did all our budget and the tightest budget we could do and we were falling behind about 800 pounds a month um, of break even. And, it, and we said, God, we can't sustain this. Somehow we've made it this far, but we can't sustain it. We believe that you've called us to be here. And it was a real question. Do you want us to stay here? Um, and I felt strongly that God wanted us to stay and to continue strengthening this church that we planted. And so we prayed and we said, God, it's November. If, if we get to Easter um, and we haven't found a way of sustaining our finances, then I think, I think we'll have to just find a way back to Australia and start again over there. And so we, we're quite, we weren't distraught or anything, but just praying, God, we need to find a way through this. And two weeks later, someone, the, the godparents of Josiah, our third child, um, her, she'd come into money unexpectedly. She was about 65 or something. She, her father had a farm that he rented for a 100-year rent for almost no rental to, to another guy. So she had no access to that funds. But all of a sudden that farmer said, I'd like to buy this farm um, because I need to invest in capital. And so this 65-year-old lady all of a sudden unexpectedly gets a few million pounds, okay? And she doesn't know what to do with it. And the bank says, well, you can't just keep it in the bank. You need to, like, that's not okay. And so she, uh, she, she, her and her husband turned up two weeks after our prayer and they said, Dan and Danny, we'd like to buy you a house. And um, well, it'll be an interest-free loan. You can pay it off over the next however long you need, but we'd actually like to buy you a house. And so this faithfulness of God of giving all that we can and not making our decisions around finances, and then this miracle of God's provision. Now, I still struggle. I feel unworthy of that miracle, but I am so thankful for it. The house we're in in Kingston is a continuation of that blessing. And so this thing of give up everything you have and follow me um, and God says and, and he'll provide for you it's a pretty interesting mathematical dilemma now the re I, I feel like I've been really privileged to have that experience um, and I don't think that that we all get to have that experience but what I do think is God asks us to follow him wholeheartedly with everything we've got and not to rely on what what we have but actually to seek first his kingdom. Here's the beautiful part. Um, Jesus has been talking about this with his disciples for ages, and now we've got a real-life example. So let me show you, I'll read you some of the things Jesus has been saying. Um, to his disciples, he said, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Really specific. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Timothy later on says. Have a listen to these verses. Jesus has been teaching this to his disciples all along. Um, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. And later on in Luke 14 it says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything... 
he has cannot be my disciple. This is pretty full-on stuff that Jesus has been teaching him. And here again, for whoever wants to save his life, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 17, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus has been teaching this as they're walking along the roads for all these miles they walk, just sharing this with the disciples all the way around. And then this guy comes up and asks, what must I do to be saved? It's obvious he's got lots of money. And so the disciples know all this teaching. And then Jesus says, he's a, it's so confronting, go and sell everything and then come and follow me. Now, the reason that's so confronting is that we live in the here and now. Our perspective is here, on, on earth, my physical life. Now, if you had an eternal perspective of everything as, G- as Jesus would have done, he'd be looking at this rich young ruler and I think the opportunity that this guy had, just try and have an eternal perspective on this. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Watch me with the plan of salvation for the whole of the human race. Give up, give up what you got. Come and follow me, the Son of God, and I'll teach you. We'll go around and we'll do it together. Can you see from an eternal perspective the difference of following Christ like this? And so all of a sudden, the earthly things where moth destroys and thieves come in and steal, all these earthly things just aren't worth it if you've got this eternal perspective. Now, God calls us into that pathway. Now, I don't know what your... um, I'll, I'll follow you with everything I've got except these are my parameters. I don't know what your parameters are. But those parameters, and for a heck of a lot of us, it's going to be our money. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. But whatever these parameters are, they're going to hold us back from seeking God and all his righteousness, from really committing wholeheartedly to him. They're the things that we will hang on to and actually not not get to see the fulfillment in our lives of what Christ could have done if we'd given him everything we had. And so I'd really love to challenge us. Now, my... My earlier self, just to let us off the hook a little bit, me included, my earlier self didn't have a lot to give away. For me to go to England as a missionary was an adventure. Um, We felt called to it and it was great and I loved it. But I didn't have a lot to give away. Now, if you ask me that same thing now, I reckon I've got a bunch of (laughs) things that are hard for me to give up. I have, and here's the list. And it's a reasonable list in human terms. I've got a family to look after. I've got their future to care for. I need a house. I, I, need all the, I need my salary to make all this work. How could I exist in this society without it? Those are all reasonable things to discuss. But what I'm encouraging us to do is say, well, why don't you stop and ask Jesus what he wants from you? What does he want you to give up? Now, he doesn't want you. I don't think he would say to everyone, sell everything and give to the poor and come follow me. But he would say your own personal version of that. You're hanging on to this pretty hard. Can you give that up and then come follow me? And so it's, it's for you guys, for us all, to have a bit of a reflection. What does it mean to seek first God's kingdom and all his righteousness? Um, and I'm pretty sure a lot of it's going to be around money, uh, money and family and, and things like that. Just to finish up, um, one thing I would love to have heard an answer to. So... If I was this rich young ruler landing on my knees in the dust, one question I would love to ask Jesus is, what must you do so that I can be saved? Can you see this question turning around? It's not about me and what I do. I'd love Jesus just to explain the lengths that he has gone to 
so that I can be saved, so that I can have eternal life. He's given up his throne in glory. He's come and submitted to humans who he created. He's been actually rejected by these humans most of the way through. He knows he's about to be crucified. He said it quite a few times. He's actually going to have to conquer death and face separation from God in that process. And then, and then risen again stuff. Now he has given up everything so that we can have eternal life. I love flicking that question around. Jesus, what have you given up so that I can have eternal life? Because that's where the real beauty of this is. It's his free gift of eternal life for us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to invite the band up, but I'll, I'll, I'll pray as we finish up. Heavenly Father, this is, this is a pretty difficult message to work through in our lives. Father, we would love to be able to just tick a list of behaviours, but actually you ask for our hearts. You ask to be God of our life, to be Lord of our life. Father, I pray that you really um, help us to work out what it is that prevents that. What are the little G gods in our life that we hold on to? Father, I pray that you'll help us to find the fullness of life and the blessing. And yeah, Jesus, help us to know what it means to then come and follow you and be your disciples and the joy that's in that statement. Father, help us to follow you. Amen.